This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 64 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Collections and Kentucky Performance Products. show this week we have carol labelle talking about a family gift that was bestowed on the dressage foundation and she takes a walk down memory lane as part of our great partnership series the only thing i ever wanted my whole young life was a horse and i was not allowed to have one but my father made me a wooden horse which consisted of a stick and a little carved kind of a piece of wood that looked like a horse's head and a little rope for a bridle and that was my favorite uh, horse my first horse and my favorite toy and i still have them hanging in my office today. Plus, we have a news update from the U.S. Dressage Federation. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Catherine Haddad in Gladstone, New Jersey, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, hi, Catherine. There's a different ring to it. This is the first time we've spoken to you when you've been stateside. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, What does it feel like to be back? I know it's just a tad warm up in Gladstone, New Jersey right now, isn't it? Well, a tad warm is is a nice way to put it. It's very muggy here. It's extremely humid. I'm doing a lot of sweating. Um, But, you know, you can't complain, really. It it is summertime, and and that's to be expected. And it feels great to be back home and to be stateside. Is there anything that, you know, that you've been eating or drinking that you really missed all the the years that you've been living in Germany? Do you come back and, and, you know, have cravings for certain things? Ice cream sandwiches. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's been my thing the last two weeks. I, I keep buying boxes of ice cream sandwiches and just wolfing them down. It's terrible. I don't know why. Um, and I really like I, I really like U.S. beef, so, of course, every time I'm home, I'm going somewhere where I can get a good steak or um, even Mexican food with beef in it and anything that has beef in it. So those things, yes, I, I do miss. Well, good. Well, I hope you enjoy your stay back here. You should explain to everybody why you're here, of course, in Gladstone, New Jersey, for the U.S. selection trials, bringing uh, your little horse, Winamaro, over. And you already got off to a great start last week, fourth in the special. Tell us about your journey here, Catherine, because the last time we spoke to you, of course, you were hoping to do this, and now you've made it. Right. Well, yeah, I'm here, which is I, it's already a big accomplishment. And um, I had a really tough decision to make before I left Germany because I had two horses qualified. And Cadillac was, of course, um, in a much higher position on our ranking list and, and is a much more experienced Grand Prix horse than Vinyamaro, who I eventually chose to bring with me. But Cadillac had been injured in the winter, and his injury, even though it was healed, um, it was just healed, and he was really not back in condition to do two horse shows back to back and when you compete a horse and he's not in shape for it you always risk re-injury and I did just didn't want to put him in that situation and I also didn't want to come home to the selection trial with a horse that was not tuned up I wanted something that I knew I could sit on and push and really ride the guts out of in the test so to speak so Vin Yamaro has been competing at at international Grand Prix since the middle of May which is he's he's a young horse he's 10 years old um, and I actually had not intended to take him international until the fall. Uh, but when Cadillac was injured and I couldn't keep uh, competing routinely with him, I decided, oh, you know, I'll bump up Winyamaro to the international circuit and see what happens. And he surprised not only me but everyone else. And every horse show he's gotten better. And I said, well, 
why not? I I didn't come to New Jersey. I didn't come to the selection trials with high hopes of making the U.S. team because I did bring my second horse. But I thought, well, you know, it's time that I ride in the United States. It's time that I'm that I'm seen there, and it's time to show it's time to show what I've learned. I've spent 17 years training in Germany, not only training but competing very um, uh, in a very concentrated way for a long time. And I thought, you know what, it's would be good for me to go to those selection trials and take this young horse and show people that I have learned how to ride. And Winnie Morrow did not let me down. He actually was also extremely good in the Grand Prix. I was really happy with his performance there. Um, he started as the 13th ranked horse in Gladstone, and he ended up 7th in the Grand Prix. And that's, you know, dressage as well as I do. That's a big leap for the judges. Um, unfortunately, 80% of your score is comes from the things that you've done before. So even if you have a young horses rapidly improving, he's still going to be judged a little bit at the level that he was at at the last horse show, score-wise. And this horse, has he's just improving in leaps and bounds. And um, I have to say, the judges did not let me down. They they saw a really fantastic Grand Prix test, and they bumped him right up to where he should have been. And then in the special, I was actually able to turn up the heat a little bit, and he just sailed. I mean, he sailed through that first half of the, of the um, special test where you have to do a lot of extended trot to passage and extended trot to passage. It was just, I think it's the best feeling I've ever had on a horse in a test. So I was really, really happy with him. Wow, that's wonderful. How is he dealing with the heat, though, Catherine? You know, he's handling it much better than I am. Um, he's sweating buckets, of course, but he's very, very fit, and he's young. He's, I think he's the youngest horse at the selection trial, at least at the Grand Prix level. He's young, and he's fit, and he wants this. It's something he really wants to do, and he is not even thinking about the heat. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's yeah, not going I'm, to let up. You've got another weekend. Uh, of course, uh, as we record this, you're getting ready for the second weekend of competition there. That's right. And there are, you know, everyone is, is very close in the rankings. I, I think I'm currently ranked fourth, but really only by the skin of my teeth. Um, Susan Blinks is, is about at the same level as, as I am in points. And um, I think that Lauren Sammies is still quite close. And, well, maybe not. I, I, haven't looked, I haven't looked at the rankings, to be honest. But in the first place is, of course, Tina Cognac with Collecto. And then... Um, Catherine Bateson with Nartan, and then Todd Fletcherich with Otto. And I'm not out of range of the third-place horse. Um, but, you know, I don't know that that's, like I said, I don't know that that's going to happen. And I, to be honest, my horse is young, and anything can happen in the next few days. So I don't even know if he's going to hold the position that he's at. But I am already very, very pleased with his performances last weekend. Well, certainly very competitive and, and, uh, and, uh, um, and how satisfying for you to come all this way and for him to even, you know, beat your expectations before you got here. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. That's, that's a good way to look at it. Well, we, we should point out to everybody the Grand Prix Special was won by Tina. As Catherine pointed out, she's currently in the lead. She won that on a 72.375%. And in second place, Martin, written by Catherine Bates and Chandler, was on 71.875%. And Todd Fletcherich with Otto, 69.917. And just a whisker behind Todd was Catherine with Winnemaro on 69.208 from 13 starters in the Grand Prix Special this last weekend. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about what's to come next week, um, Catherine. We, we spoke to Debbie McDonald last week on the show, and uh, she was just giving us an overview, really, of what to expect. It's two weeks of competition 
here from which the selectors will pick the four that will travel to uh, Kentucky. Is that correct? Three, actually, because oh. uh, Stefan Peters already has it placed on the team. Right. He did oh, get a yes. buy for Gladstone. He's not competing there, but he is already on the team. So they will take three horses into the team from there. And then um, the fourth horse that, that the fourth place horse at Gladstone will um, be the, the traveling reserve for the team. Well, as you say, still a lot to do before that team is named, and I understand that Stefan will be travelling to Gladstone to go into uh, quarantine there with the team um, early next month and, and join the other three riders that are named. Do you know exactly when they're named, Catherine? Well, technically they should be named on the 16th of August, um, which is the day after our, our selection trial ends. I say technically because that has in previous years been written into other selection procedures and not been followed. So um, I, I hope that, the, that we stay with the selection procedures the way they are written this year. Terrific. Well, obviously, that would be a huge relief to everybody concerned. Quite a few riders that are up there for the two weeks of competition. You've uh, um, obviously uh, t- le- had to leave home for, for a couple of Does this, does this uh, in any way persuade you to come back to the States permanently, uh, Catherine, or are you committed to staying in, in Germany? Well, I'm, it's not so much that I'm committed to staying in Germany. I am committed to getting into the top of the sport, and that means the top ten in the world ranking list and staying there. Um, people are I've had that question asked a lot in the last couple of weeks, and especially at the selection trials. Um, I think that people are impressed by the way I ride the test, but I think what they need to remember is that I ride the test the way I do because I've trained in Germany for, for so long. Mm-hmm. and um, it's given me not only a lot of training and a lot of experience, but it's brought a lot of routine to what I do. And, you know, there's very few places in the world where you could have 52 Grand Prix starts in one year, but that's what I had last year between my three horses was 52 Grand Prix starts. Wow. Um, that's kind of hard to duplicate in, in the United States, yeah. although I have to say I have not ruled out giving it a try. I am looking for a new sponsor, and if the situation comes up where it would look um, you know, very beneficial to me to come back to the United States and ride for someone here, I would be willing to do it. All right. Well, you heard that here on the Dressage Radio Show. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Catherine, while talking about WEG selection, we want to mention that the British team have been named for the games. There's not too many surprises there except that Carl Hester um, uh, got in with Liebling the second, which is nice for him. Of course, he's a very seasoned uh, member of the British team. But heading that squad, uh, no surprises with Laura Bechtelsheimer on her Mistral Horace, and she's actually been named as re- with her reserve horse, Andretti the H. Uh, he's been going so well, too. Fiona Bigwood yes. has been named with V. Atlantico, and Maria Alberg with her father's two socks, as well as, as Carl. The non-traveling reserves are Henrietta Anderson on Louis Dor the third, and Emil Flurry with Elm Gardens Marquis. So, uh, you know, an interesting squad. They're going to be very competitive, aren't they, Catherine, this, now? I mean, they're just getting better and better, aren't the British team? The British team is getting better and better, and, of course, they have the great advantage of having Laura Bechtold-Timer on Mistral Horace. Um, after the, uh, but, but after that lead horse, you do see their scores drop off quite a bit, and they're, they don't have a lot of depth. Um, it really will depend, I think, a lot on what Carl Hester can do with mm-hmm. Lee too, because Carl, Carl can, generally speaking, pull off some really big, big scores. But he has been separated from the horse for a while, mm-hmm. um, and you know he had one outing that didn't go so well and then one outing that went better. 
So I'm I'm hoping for him and for their team that he really pulls it together. And yet, then, yes, I do think they will be competitive. But one great lead horse doesn't make a complete team. So um, I think both the British team and the American team have to really pay attention to their second, third, and fourth riders in the next um, in the next six weeks or so, and make sure that the, that the people in those positions are really prepared to put in their best performance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the uh, the other team that I know is going to be competitive is the Canadians. They've been doing so well all over North America over the winter, and we've really been catching. They've been catching our eye here. And uh, Ashley Holzer, of course, is heading that squad. Ashley from Toronto with Popart, her 13-year-old Dutch Warmblood gelding, has had some wonderful scores uh, this past winter in in Florida and and got off to a really good start in the outdoor season. So uh, she's heading that squad, and and behind her is um, Belinda Trussell from Newmarket. Ontario with Anton and Bonnie Bonello of Calgary, Alberta with Picardi and Victoria Winter of Toronto, Ontario actually makes up that squad from Canada. And, you know, that day, I think they're going to be competitive with the British to get on the uh, medal podium, aren't they, Catherine? Well, yeah, I think there's a lot of teams that have a chance this year. I, I, I don't want to say that the medal podium is wide open, but I do think there are several teams that have a chance, and yes, of course, you could. Anything can happen. You can you can, can uh, include Canada in that without question. There, Ashley Holzer is really really strong. I did see Belinda Trussell go at um, Aachen, and was quite impressed with some of the things that she showed on Anton. So again, you know, this is a team who again has to pay special attention not only to their lead horse but the horses that come in the second, third, and fourth position. Uh, and I, to be honest with you, I think that's where the medals are going to be won this time around because we have several nations like Canada, like Britain, like the United States that have really strong lead horses, and they're a little bit light coming after that. So I think that the medals will be, will be won in the second, third, and fourth position. Yeah, I think you could be spot on there. And uh... Now, I know everybody's expecting great things of the Dutch. Um, the Germans, of course, always competitive too. So it's going to be interesting. And, and I think we're going to have some of the best sp- sport probably uh, that we've ever seen at this level because, of course, uh, uh, Totilus and Ravel have never yet met. So I think there's, there's going to be quite a showdown at, uh, at dusk in the Kentucky Horse Park. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I think it will be a very, very competitive sport this year. Well, we're going to take a short break here to uh, hear from our um, new sponsors over here on Question Collections. Of course, they're not new to the Horse Radio Network. They've been sponsoring other shows, and, and now they're going to join us here on the Dressage Radio Show. Equestrian Collections has become a favorite for many of our dressage listeners. They have a huge selection of products for every level of dressage rider. Whether you're looking for something for your horse, your barn, or yourself, you will find it all at Equestrian Collections. They have fantastic prices on the names you have come to love, like Rumpf, Ariat, Charles Owen, Daredal, Fitz, RSL, Carrots, and so many more. For the entire universe of equestrian shopping at your fingertips at a price you can afford, go to equestriancollections.com. That's equestriancollections.com. And don't forget to stop over and join their Facebook fan page. They have over 22,000 fans now over there and some great conversations and a lot of fun contests. Everything you, you want out of a fan page for a company like Equestrian Collections is over there. Just search for Equestrian Collections on Facebook. First, we have a news update from the U.S. Dressage Federation, and we're joined by Anita Minks, who's going to tell us about some deadlines that are approaching for the awards and scholarships with the U.S. Dressage Federation. 
Well, I'm joined now by Anita Minx, who's the U.S. Dressage Federation Sport Programs Coordinator. Anita, I believe you've got some news on some deadlines coming up for some awards from the USDF. Tell us about those. Yes, we have two upcoming award deadlines. The first is our Youth Convention Scholarship. We offer four scholarships of up to $1,000 to help defray the cost of attending our annual convention, which will take place December 1st to the 5th in Jacksonville, Florida this year. Um, any youth USDF participating member at 21 years of age or under is eligible to apply, and those applications need to be submitted to our office by August 15th. And those kids will be invited to attend all of our youth meetings and education sessions during convention. And then our Youth Volunteer of the Year Award presented by the Paddock Saddlery um, is coming up. The deadline is August 31st to submit those nominations for kids that have volunteered at least 25 hours at any dressage-related event this year. The winner of that award will be presented with a perpetual trophy at the convention and will also receive a $250 gift certificate from the Paddock Saddlery and a $500 stipend from the Youth Programs Advisory Subcommittee to attend our annual convention. Um, so it's a prestigious award and will be presented at convention and is a great thing to apply for. So we're looking for some good applications. Well, terrific. How long have these uh, awards been going on, Anita? The the scholarship, for example, how, how long has that been running? Um, it's been running as for as long as I've been here. Um, I believe several years now. Um, and many of the um, members of our current uh, youth programs advisory subcommittee have actually been recipients of that convention scholarship in the past. And when they attend the convention, they kind of get a feel for USDF um, behind the scenes at the volunteer level. And it really gives them a taste for our organization and how we run. And it really gets them involved. And um, so a lot of those kids really kind of get involved in USDF down the road that have attended through that scholarship before. So it's a really great opportunity for the kids to see USDF and and how we work as an organization. Because you do have a lot of active youth in the USDF, a lot of young riders around the country that are very engaged in locally volunteering and, and also to be you know be a part of the, the sport and, and how it functions at national level. And I see a lot of that with a lot of the youth guests that we have here on the Dressage Radio Show. So this really is just to encourage them to participate, get them to the convention. As you said, it takes place on December 1st through the 5th in Jacksonville, Florida this year. Year. and so you would encourage them to to participate to get uh, an application form for that award now how do they go about that um, Anita how do they contact you and and how do they get more information about that application all of our applications are available online at usdf.org and um, they can also contact me my email is eminx at usdf.org or they can email youth at usdf.org that goes to my email as well um, so they can email me directly or just pop on our website and find the uh, all the applications and details there on the website and give us an idea of what kind of 
activities you would have at convention, Anita, that would involve specifically the youth? What would, what could they look forward to? Well, they would be invited to attend the youth programs committee meeting, um, the youth program advisory subcommittee meeting. Um, at those meetings, they discuss the programs um, that USDF administers and the future of those programs, that type thing. And then we also have several education sessions going on this year. We're going to have Dr. Hillary Clayton. Um, we will have Milken Schleza with Schleza Saddlery doing some saddle fitting sessions. And we're going to have uh, Dr. Jenny Susser, a sports psychologist, doing some sessions on uh, sports psychology with riding. So lots of great opportunities. There's also our national symposium, which will be taking place, um, and that'll be based on the different uh, tests throughout the levels with a new test coming out this year, and that will uh, feature Lilo Four and Gary Rockwell um, presenting that. So there'll be lots of opportunity for education, um, lots of opportunity to network and meet the people that are uh, behind the scenes here at USDF and making these programs possible. Terrific. Well, thank you, Anita. We will put a link on our website to your contact, uh, as you said, aminks at usdf.org for more information on those two um, prestigious uh, uh, awards, the, the Volunteer of the Year, Youth Volunteer of the Year Award and the Youth Convention Scholarship. I want to thank you for joining us, Anita, and good luck with that program. Thank you very much. Well, as I said, we will be putting a, a links on our website to, uh, so you can contact directly Erica there and get, get more information about those awards and scholarships. So uh, good luck to all of you, and we'll see you at the U.S. Discharge Federation Symposium and Convention Annual Meeting later this year. Well, we're going to take a short break to hear from our friends over at Kentucky Performance, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to hear from Carol Lavelle. Joint Armor from KPP provides your horse with the building blocks necessary to maintain healthy joints throughout his lifetime. Kentucky Performance Products Quality Assurance provides you with the confidence that you are purchasing a safe, high-quality product. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Joint Armor is concentrated and affordable. One jar lasts a whole 75 days. Joint Armor helps maintain fluid motion and flexibility in your horse's joints. It also supports normal cartilage development and reduces joint deterioration. Learn more about Joint Armor from Kentucky Performance Products and all their other terrific products at KPP. USA.com. That's KPPUSA.com. Well, I'm joined now by Carol Lavelle, who, uh, of course, is widely known to all of you, and she uh, and her family have been so very generous in their donations to the Dressage Foundation. Uh, so I took the opportunity to catch up with uh, Carol and, and to hear more about that wonderful uh, donation that they generously made to the Dressage Foundation and also to get her to reminisce about her wonderful partnership with Gifted. So many of you wrote in to me and, and, and asked me to include Carol and Gifted in our great partnership series. So uh, let's hear from Carol. Well, hi, Carol. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Great to have you on the show. And since it's your first time here, I know you've been very, very busy with the, your involvement with the sport at all levels and really do participate in all kinds of committees and keep very, very active in the sport and 
not least of all making headlines with the recent donation to the Dressage Foundation, which I want to talk about. And a little bit later on, I'd like to talk about your partnership with Gifted, of course, for which you're so famous. And we have a segment here on the Dressage Radio Show that we call Great Partnerships. So uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later on. But before we get to that, uh, why don't we start with a little bit of your background, Carol, introducing you to a new audience here of... uh, of riders and explain how you got started in the sport. Mm, in the sport, uh, because I had the, the only thing I ever wanted my whole young life was a horse, and I was not allowed to have one. But my father made me a wooden horse, which consisted of a stick and a little carved kind of a piece of wood that looked like a horse's head, and a little rope for a bridle. And that was my favorite uh, horse, my first horse, and my favorite toy, and I still have them hanging in my office today. Oh, wow. So where did you and grow I ran up? I around and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran around <laughs> with that horse, and he learned everything, but he didn't, I didn't know so much about Kassash, but he could know one lead from the other, and it was fun. Where did you grow up, Carol? I grew up in Rhode Island. So was that the beginning of your horse career then? Was it based up in New England? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm started to take lessons when I was in junior high school, maybe, or, yes. I never was allowed to ride any younger, and I wasn't allowed to have a horse because my father said we would have a lot of other things to do and places to go and not time to take care of horses and do things like that. So the day after I graduated from college, I bought my very own first horse, but I had to wait till after that. Well, now, did you have any siblings or any other family involvement in horses? Uh, I have two brothers, no family involvement in horses, absolutely not. I'm the only weird one. (laughs) (laughs) So you were a pioneer as well, were you? I was, and I I was by myself for a long time until my father, of all things, became a first-time horse owner, and he became the first-time horse owner when I bought Gifted. Wow, and when was that? Oh boy, let's see. Gifted was four. So he was he born in 1980? Yes, in 1992 he was 12. Is that going to wait? Uh, yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah, that's correct. And uh, so he was four years old and unbroken. And I um, was in Germany looking for another, Pre St. George, I had one horse. And I had two at home, and I wanted another one or another one to go on to Grand Prix who could actually make it to Grand Prix. And I, of course, ran across this awkward-looking horse, poor and unbroken, and uh, got sucked into those four white stockings. But really, I got sucked into the way he could move when he was led up and down a tar road and an asphalt driveway. And when I called back home and said to my father, Dad, I think I'm going to need to use some of my uh, money that my father has worked very hard to put away for our education and as it turned out he always had enough cash to pay for the those college bills and so we never used that money and it just kept building in for us to use when we needed it and I didn't think my father would think a whole lot about buying a horse but I did say I would like to use my money for this and he said yes I knew you were going to Europe to look for a horse and uh, uh, and you found a horse and I said oh he said you found a horse and how much of the money will you need? Not when I told him how much, how many German marks I needed at the time. He said, "How many horses did you say you were buying?" 
<laughs> that's what started it. I, I said, uh, one dad, one big one. That's what started it. He said, no, I don't think I'll let you use your money. No, I think it would be better. I have some cash in my account. I will send it to you, whatever part you need, and I'm going to need some for shipping, Dad, and, da, 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 and vetting. And he said, I'll send it to you, and I'll loan it to you. Okay, Dad. And he said, I'll loan it to you for 7%, and you'll have to pay me back. Okay, Pop. So about five days later, that my father was the brand-new owner of a giant young horse who was not broken. <laughs> well, your father is known for being extremely generous, Carol, and I, and I, and I want to mention this recent donation of a million dollars to the Dressage Foundation, uh, a, a very generous supporter of the Dressage fa fa Foundation, your father is, and um, this is going to be put to some very good use for the sport. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that's going to be spent. Well, I first think it would be a little fun to just tell you how it started. It started with the prize, which is the, my first involvement at the foundation, which is the, the $25,000 award given to a talented uh, rider with an, uh, a horse with uh, international potential. And it can be awarded every single year or not awarded or awarded to two people. We think we have enough money to award it to two people. And it's going on every year. And in order to start it, I went to my father and I said, do you think I could do this, Dad, with some of my money and get it started? And in this way, I would, I would be in the same place I was with Gifted when I was trying to get started. And I had done all these tests in the United States and I needed to get up and get out of here and get more training in Europe and go and do some things. And I at zero money, and I went to my father, and I said, yeah, well, I need, I need this and that and that, and he said, well, you think you ought to talk to all your friends and see if they can help you out, because it doesn't, doesn't sound, sounds like, to me, it's just like a European vacation, and it's really not, not right. it's just, you know how to ride already, so I don't understand how you can get more education, that's how much my father understood at that point, and then, and then of course, he went on from there, that, um, we did go to Europe, and we did go, and it's, it, I accumulated enough money in, by training people to pay back for my horse. So when I went to pay my father back at Christmas, I said, Dad, guess what I've got? Plus to 7%. Here, I hope I did the math right. And he said, oh, no, oh, no, no. You know, what did, you, what did I tell you when we were going to buy gifted? I said, well, you said you wouldn't let me. He said, it's not a very good time to sell your stock, Carol. I'll just loan you some cash. And he said, yes, that's right. Now now you want you want to buy him back now, don't you? Yes, Dad, I do. <laughs> and he said, you know what, Carol? It's not a very good time to sell. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds like my father became a first-time horse owner. And that worked up from there. He became prouder and prouder and more involved and he didn't know a thing about horses but he would stand beside someone who knew that he didn't know them and those people and at the end he'd tap somebody on the shoulder and one of them was Kathy Conley and say after a test I was doing and he was watching he would say did you think that was good? Oh. Kathy Conley turned around and said to my father whom she did not know good good that, that word does not describe what that was there isn't a word good enough to describe what that is. Wow. He, I thought, I was like, really, really, really? Yes, really. This is out of this world. 
And so my father, of course, was beaming away, and it wasn't so much <laughs> later that Kathy Connolly realized it was my dad sneaking around behind the lines. Oh. But uh, now the time has come where my father is quite elderly, and I had started the prize, and I'd asked him if I could use my money to start the prize, and and would he help me start it? And he said, yes, I will. And I said, well, how much do you think I should start it with, Dad? And he said, I think you had $25,000 of your earnings to put in. And he said, I think you want to try, I think I could give $25,000 to start. He said first, he said, I think I could give $25,000. Wow, Dad, I think that's great. And he said, based on the fact that you have to match it. Uh oh, Dad, I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> really in a lot of trouble now. <laughs> so, as partners, we went off to form the prize, and that's how both of us got started at contributing to the Dressage Foundation and the prize, and the prize was set up the way it is. And he became, he asked, asked a lot about the uh, Dressage Foundation and became familiar with the programs. And I gave some of my money every year, and he has a charitable foundation set up, and I get, I'm allowed to direct some of that money to places like NIDA and the USCT and the Dressage Foundation, and I directed a lot of it to the prize, and it grew and grew. And then now he's 96, wow. and he still can watch riding. If I actually can climb on a horse, he can still have fun watching it. And he, he had accumulated enough money in his cash account, which at this time of the economy, you shouldn't, if you're 96 years old, you shouldn't be wandering around with a lot of cash in your account, because you're in have, if you die before the estate tax uh, runs out, you're fine, but when you, if you die the day after the estate tax is zero, and they've changed it back to 45 or even higher percent then you're sitting there with not very much left of your money, Dad. So he thought that over very carefully, and he said, no, there isn't any point then to hanging on to this money now or any reason, and I don't need a whole lot of money where he's living in an assisted place, assisted living home in uh, Palm Beach. He said, I don't need a whole lot of money just to get $350,000 a year. It will do it up for me, and I'd laugh so hard. It's more like 3500 you know. Like, <laughs> my father's been that kind of liver his whole life. <laughs> like, Dad, you could do the facelift here. <laughs> so uh, I said, what are you thinking? He said, who's thinking about it? He said, well, I've got a lot of, a lot of cash that I used keep loose occasions, but I don't need a car, and I don't need any help living here, and I am 96, and I think maybe it'd be time to look at this amount of cash in my account instead of keeping it there, plan ahead on what the Obama administration might do to me, and he said, I'm thinking maybe I'm not going to wait for him to raise the estate tax, it's still zero this year, and I think it's time to get rid of some of this cash, and I said, boy, glory be, yippee! <laughs> And he said, so what do you want to do with your, with your part, Carol? And I said, oh, I'm going to go buy a big, giant cruise ship and have it with a staff of 22 and gourmet cooks. And, and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you're going to go buy another horse? I said, now, Dad, I'll be honest. And the truth is, no, I'm not buying another horse. I'm the proud owner of two right now, and that's enough. 
I don't think so. He said, what will you do? And I said, well, I'm thinking of probably parceling out the money that, divided by three, this is my younger and older brother, and I, and it's being parceled out. And so he said, what are you going to do with it? And I said, well, Dad, I know you won't try to talk me out of it, but you know it's going to have to do with horses. He said, like that nag I used to own? Yep, like that old nag you used to own. Yep, it's going to have to do with that. Yep, definitely Harvard's going to go with that gifted fund. And by the way, and then I told him, by the way, that's the most active fund at the Dressage Foundation. It's surprising to me that it is so active. The, uh, the adult amateurs who get that prize, many, many, many of them write wonderful thank you notes, which I forward to my dad so he also can share with that. appreciate that. Now, that's the, yeah. the gifted fund that uh, provides yeah. nine scholarships annually. Is yeah. that right, Carol? Yeah, yep. starting something like 50 bucks a region. And now it's, we're going to get up to more than $1,000 a region right wow. away. Well, that's wonderful. And yes, and they treat it as if it's, I can't, they can't believe it. But I remember being in this position, too. I remember how sleeping in my truck, you know, sleeping on the floor of my truck and trying to find a way to pay the gas, living out of my cooler or a little Coleman stove. And I can't remember those years when I just didn't have any dollar bills. And these feel the same way. They have kids and jobs or kids and at home and have to stay at home and they got made arrangements and they leave and they say this was like going to heaven and they're so enthusiastic and i thought you know boy oh boy what a group what a great group to give money to so quite a bit of it will go there Terrific. and that's very active because the interesting thing is this the amateurs are the people who come back giving money to those funds to that fund they bring money back that's that's wonderful, and now that, just get, that is terrific. And the, and the other one, as you just mentioned, the twenty five thousand dollar Carol Laval Advanced Dressage Prize. Now there's there's two prizes now each year for that, right? Yeah. Well, we can give. We have the choice yeah. of giving as many as we wish, and uh, we had enough money this year, and uh, the prize went to Courtney as one of the people who was to get it, Courtney King, and there was another pe- person that I was looking at who, whom I thought was equally qualified in many ways, had a wonderful horse, and I was. we have a selection committee, and one of my jobs was to go around to the first CDIs in, in uh, Wellington, so I was at the first one in early January, and I was at the second one, and I watched this horse at the first one, and this horse and this rider were so far ahead of the first 30 horses ahead of her that had gone already and I'd been sitting there all day long getting more and more concerned that dressage was not looking so good for the United States and a lot better for Canada. And this girl comes in and rides this test action and the test and this first part of it just blew me away. It was so good. Till we got to the kiosk. which point the horse just stood on its hind legs and walked around shaking its head in the air and that was the end of that. Oh dear. Well, I'm sure there are... I'm sure there are listeners, Carol, who are interested in how in the criteria for this, and I uh, should explain yeah. that the criteria for that uh, dressage prize is to uh, provide a fi- financial assistance for coaching and training to a talented, committed, qualified rider whose plan is to reach and excel at the elite international standards yeah. of high-performance dressage. Yeah. Yep. And our, tr- our troubles are to... Our problem and trouble, and it's hard, is to find... People, first we started, we were trying to take and look at people who had second level horses or first level horses. And 
we finally decided it was too difficult to assess international talent or potential until you actually could see some things in the horse's body that can be developed into Passage and Piaf. After all, those are your qualifying characteristics for an international horse. It's Piaf, Passage, one tempies, and uh, the transitions between everything. And so when you take a look around the United States for horses that can, that can do this, they look like can, they can do this, or they're in precinct George, I want it, and they can do a little of those things too. There are very, very few horses that can. And so the field became extremely narrow, and we, I became very concerned about the future of the, um, the uh, foundation's, what, what is the name of our, how, what do we name, what was we named it now? It's not the gifted fund anymore. It's, uh, it's not the advanced prize, it's the foundation. What is it called? The, the Dressage Foundation's gifted fund? Well, that the the that's prize is one thing. This is the gifted fund. Is that yes, correct? Yes, the gifted fund. Yeah. That, that's correct. The, t- yes. the the two things. That's, and, yes. yes. Just to clarify yes. for everybody, the twenty five thousand dollar Carol yes. Laval Advanced Dressage Prize at the Dressage Foundation is one thing, and the gifted fund at the Dressage Foundation is where the nine scholarships are awarded yes. annually. That that's true. Well, and the biggest part of this, Chris, is that I was in a place where I needed a lot of cash to do what I wanted to do, and got it in the same way as I'm trying to help a person now to do it with the money and help that's come in for, for uh, in Gifted's name. And it's a strange thing. I remember um, saying something to you a lot earlier in our careers about what Gifted did for dressage. And, you know, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really realize what was happening to me and to Gifted until we came home from the Olympic Games. And I realized that people were coming from way, way, way to watch and look at Gifted and, and talk about Gifted and even touch him or pat him or if I have a mane here. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is out of control. <laughs> and then I began to realize that when you wanted to put Gifted's name with things, you began to realize that people were willing to donate money to something called the Gifted Fund to do things to give money back to the sport. And so I, I, I laugh every time I see Gifted photograph up here on my wall in Barcelona, and I think about how far-reaching his actual um, you know, impression has been, his actual silhouette and the, the, the idea in people's head about the way he looked when he was doing massage. is still, still there. Still there. Still well, I want to talk about him. Building. Yeah, I want to talk about him, Carol, you know, and how symbolic he was, as you say. He was a horse of enormous stature, both in terms of his reach and his also physical appearance, because he was a big horse, wasn't he, over 17 hands? I was 16, two and a half when I bought him at four, unbroken. And somewhere around six, I was beginning to have trouble with the saddle size and the girths and things. And between six and seven, we were at 16, three. No, we actually got to 17, one. And at eight, he hit 17, three and a half. And that did it. He was done. <laughs> I know. It's like, well, when are you going to finish growing up? But I never... I said, really, I never realized he was going to be that huge and spread out like that because after he finished growing up, and then he started to grow out. And all those big knees and those big hocks and all that huge girth and that huge chest, I never realized it. And the Germans all laugh. Well, you shouldn't realize that the size of hocks like basketballs and things. You should have known he was going to be that big. And 
like he could drive a car, a Volkswagen, between his front legs. You know, he's so huge. But he was such a big one. He was, Han- he was Hanoverian, wasn't he? Yes, he was. So a, a big horse that developed a big following and, and yeah. a very special partnership with you because he was a bit picky, wasn't he, about who he had in, close to him? Yeah, actually, he didn't like people. That's the truth. He didn't like people. He didn't like people in his stall. He was very territorial about his stall. I had to write that on my applications, my entry forms for stabling to people like Patsy Albers at Devon and say, Patsy, have to be very careful about this horse. People keep coming around and they want to see him and they want to stick their hands through the stall wall and pat him. And then the walls aren't very tall in the permanent stabling. And what happens is he can just stand right up there and grab somebody whose head comes across or neck comes across to see him. And he's beginning to do that, and I'm a little afraid he's going to hurt somebody. So Patsy was at wit's end to find stalls for me, and finally she put me in isolation across the street, across the tower road, in the permanent stalls that are over there behind the chain link fence. And I was the only one over there all by myself. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have any trouble with my stall. Thank you, Patsy. (laughs) (laughs) So how was he with the the vet and the blacksmith? How did he regard that? No, he couldn't get... I had to go catch him first before the veterinarian had a chance to get near him. It didn't matter who the vet was. And I, I could hold, if I were holding on to him and with a chain leech, of course, otherwise I'd be probably uh, loose lunged myself into another continent. But he was uh, not good with veterinarians, and he was a blacksmith. He was perfect. Well, when you got going with him uh, in, on, the, on the Grand Prix service on the European dressage circuit, uh, how, what kind of horse did, did you think he was going to be at that point in his career, Carol? Well, of course, I just started... In Europe, I just started with that original tour in 1989, I think, was our original tour of Robert and me and Marie Myers, and we went around northern Germany and into Sweden to Falstabo and Stockholm, uh, to Stockholm, that's where the first world championships were actually at Stockholm. Yeah. That's where the dressage footing in the beautiful big arena yeah. was green. It was that fake footing colored yeah. green, like grass. And I remember that the horses wanted to at least halt the loot, and the horses would look down at that. Maybe I should grab some of this. I don't think so gifted. You need to do your best. I don't think I really realized that I was going going far at all. One, I, I having never been very far, I really had no concept of of where I was on the scale. I, I finally, at the end of this tour, realized being... Uh, the Americans who went on this tour, and uh, it was lobbied originally not to send gifted by certain people. Don't send him because he needs another year of development in the United States. And but anyway, the USET didn't listen, and they funded that tour for the three of us. And for the three, I was up, I was so far behind the other two people and the people I was competing against in my first test in Europe in, in Sweden. That you know, I might as well have been across the ocean. But by the time I'd finished, uh, yeah, eight and a half weeks of driving around Europe and competing in four different shows, it was a whole different story. I had gifted with miles ahead of everybody else. Amazing, and, this, and of course he just won right in the middle. He just won the so horse he, of the year uh, one year after the other, didn't he? In the yes, in the mid eighties. Yeah, he did it all the way through his young. Age, Correct. Yes. Group, you know, starting with that first level and going on, 
and he did it uh, after that at Grand Prix, Prix St. George. I won on Grand Prix, and I so I didn't didn't have any having not been to Europe and watched everybody else and seen things so much. I had not enough perspective to put myself on the scale. And finishing way down the the you know down the, in the group of those below the first half and well past, you know, below the second third of the group in that group of uh, real losers. Like, gee, and I haven't even done anything except make green mistakes in there. I'm not doing really bad things. I'm just not doing anything right. And then we spent, spent a little bit of a course of time with Herbert Rabine and things shaped up fast enough so that I shot up when I went to Rotterdam, which was our last show, and passed my fellow teammates and started to get up in the top ten. And then Dr. Klinski said, you need to stay another week so you can come to my show in Minster. So we stayed another week, and I went there trying to hold on to what Herbert had helped me with. And by the time I got to the, the Quincy show, my horse was second. It was right up there with everybody else. And so so much so that Jan Bellingham's at one place, standing in the line with Isabel and with me, and other people and said, looked at me and he laughed so hard. I said, what are you laughing at, Jan? And he said, what are you doing up here? <laughs> 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 I laughed so hard. I said, surprise. Surprise! <laughs> There's nobody more surprised than me. <laughs> well, of course, he made his name on the team, you know, World Cup uh, competition, Sweden and Holland and so on, and after the World Championships in 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 The Hague, and as you mentioned, in Stockholm, Sweden, in 1990, he had the most illustrious career. Of course, then and went on on to uh, Barcelona and won the team bronze there. Uh, when he was really at his heyday and and super fit, was he still very particular about who who he hung out with, and and did that affect the way you prepared him for a competition, Carol? He had to well, he had one groom all the way through that whole career, and uh, that was that was the best thing because he would be perfectly happy with her or me. But it, it, you know, I wouldn't be putting your hands through those bars if I were you. <laughs> but I'm trying to feed him a carrot. That doesn't mean he knows the difference between your hand and a carrot either. <laughs> oh, it's just something that you're going to be sorry. And so he would turn his head and look at someone who was bothering him, that standing at the stall and gooing and gawing at him. And he'd turn his head and he'd open his mouth and he'd snap his teeth together. You know, clack. He'd clack his teeth at them. And both the, my groom and I, we laughed so hard because he, you know, when you're on his back, he's just the most user-friendly horse in the world. Difficult, yes, to ride. Not easy to ride, but not at all. I wasn't going to do a, I'll turn my head around when you use that spur and bite your boot off. None of that ever happened. And I saw that happen a couple of times with stallions in Europe. He would never have done anything like that, but... On the ground, he hated to be touched and groomed. Just give me my food and leave me alone. And he didn't like people touching him either or anybody else. He didn't want to be touched. He didn't want to be groomed. And so so when you retired him from what was an illustrious career, um, where did you retire him, Carol, and how did he end his his retirement? Well, actually, I don't think we ever did retire him. really didn't happen. Um, We were planning to do it. Greg and I uh, uh, were planning to do it at the Washington International Horse Show because he had won the league finals there like three or four times in a row. And I asked Greg if it would be all right. What did he think about you know retiring Gifted? And he said he would love it. But that was when that was the year that Gifted died in 
gift it was, he was not, he was turning 17. For me, he was a young horse still. Yes. And uh, so we never really had a retirement ceremony or anything, so that went by the board. Uh, but, of course, he was memorialized in 1997, inducted into the U.S. Dressage Federation's Hall of Fame. Yes. And 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 I believe there was a portrait uh, made of of him, which has a story in itself, doesn't it, Carol? That the the painting that was uh, created. Oh my for... goodness! I mean, the painting that's still missing. Yeah. Yes. There's a giant painting. Yes. Patricia Powers made a beautiful, beautiful painting of him from a snapshot, which is total reality. It looks exactly like him. Every everything about it looks just like him. That's what you could be standing right there, and it's. Gosh, it's eight foot high and twelve foot long at least, or ten feet long. Huge, huge big thing. And it was out and sent out to California and was being shown in an art gallery, and that person was supposed to send it back to us and probably coming to, to me, and it never came back. Well, no well, there's a there's a message there if anyone's listening that has ever seen that in in California to uh, let us know because that is still it's still part of an ongoing investigation, is it, Carol? Yes, it is. It's got a blue-green, kind of gray, slate-gray background. There's no ground on which he's standing, and he's in the middle of a passage. And uh, he's doing it by himself. He's got no tack on him. And it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful painting. Well, we, we would ho- hope that someone out there may have seen this and may know where its whereabouts. It would be wonderful if that could be returned to you and, and to commemorate a, a fantastic partnership. Carol, we want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been great to talk to you. And again, our, our heartfelt thanks to you from the dressage community for your and your family's generosity to the sport and encouraging and assisting young people as, as they make their way through their careers and, and really without that kind of generosity I and mean, there's a lot of riders that wouldn't wouldn't make it so it's extremely generous of you thank well, you well you know thanks Chris because it wouldn't happen if, if it wouldn't happen in this chain if I hadn't watched my father be this way with things that he gave so many charities he gave money to and then agreed to help me if I would agree to match it and get myself started and then now as you know, he has given a million dollars now to the Dressage Foundation to be distributed to various funds there. And there's a target. I don't know if John told you, there is a target fund, targeted, special targeted funds uh, group. And that there's a pile of money in there. And that money can be used at the discretion of the committee for any special occasion as we see fit. It could be given to a, an organization or in, in some kind of need, but the, mo- the money specifically has, well, my goodness, first of all, I, I, yeah, a million dollars is a lot of money, Dad. And he said, well, I'm going to give it away because it's, if I don't give it away, it's going to be given back in taxes to the government, and I made it fair and square, and now I want to give it away, and I want to see it to go to go to the charities that you like and make you proud and happy. And I said, I'm going right back to where we started to try to give back money to, to people who try, were trying to do what I was trying to do. Well, absolutely. We well, it uh, certainly is appreciated. We want to thank you again, Carol, and uh, we will put a link on our website to the Dressage Foundations where you can find out more about the prize and the scholarship. Thank you so much for joining us today. Lovely to talk to you, Carol. Nice to talk to you too, Chris and everyone. Thanks. Bye.
Well, our thanks again to Carol and for the wonderful generosity of that family. You know, that, that's really it's, it's such a, a wonderful support, isn't it, Catherine, for the sport when you get such generous d- donations and benefactors uh, to the Dressage Foundation and the USDF. Absolutely. I think it's really difficult for our sport to, um, to keep going in America without these kinds of foundations and without this kind of financial support for riders who are not sponsored and don't have um, financial backers. So I think it's a really generous thing that Carol Lavelle has done, and I'm really happy that her, her family has agreed to um, this kind of support at the foundation. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, uh, thanks again to Carol. Um, but before we get to the end of the show this week, I um, just want to mention one email um, very kindly uh, sent to us by Tanya Hines from Canada. She said she appreciated the interview, interview with Lendon Gray, and she loves the suit. She said it's a super new segment. That is the new segment that we're including here on the Dressage Radio Show of inspirational people. I hope you'll uh, listen in. If you didn't hear last week, we will be having a lot more great people from the sport of dressage. And this series uh, is also being shared with the, our sister shows on uh, eventing and jumping. And we're uh, looking at people who have been inspirational to the sport. And uh, eventually, when we get a few of these together, this will be a standalone podcast, so you can listen just to those uh, as a separate uh, podcast series. So take a listen to that. Thank you again to Tanya for, for writing in. I want to remind you all, <clears throat> as we get down the countdown now to the World Equestrian Games, just a few short weeks away, that uh, the Dressage Radio Show will be there every day and we will be recording to a live audience in the Altec Pavilion. So come and join us and say hello. We'll be on stage there at the end of uh, each day's dressage to, uh, to record the show for you and bring you all the action from the Kentucky Horse Park. Well, it's a few weeks to that, uh, Catherine. So uh, what's, what's happening with you um, over the... I mean, what are you doing apart from riding um, Winimaro? That, I mean, isn't it strange just to have one horse to ride? Are you doing some teaching as well? It is strange to have one horse to ride. Um, fortunately, I'm, I'm staying at a local stable here not very far from Gladstone. I'm actually staying there with my dog at uh, Hawk Hollow Ranch. Uh, in Bedminster, New Jersey, and the owner of the ranch has been so kind as to let me ride her horse for a few times a week while I'm here, so I'm staying in a little bit better shape, and um, I'm actually staying very busy teaching. I've already done one clinic in Virginia, and I did some teaching over in New York, and I've had a couple other inquiries, Um, so I think that my schedule will be very full should I stay here a little bit longer, but of course, none of that will be determined until the selection trial is finished. I think it's the top six horses from the selection trial that will be asked to stay on as reserves, and my horse would have to land in that top, top six. Otherwise, we will pack up and go home. Okay. So uh, what else will you uh, take advantage of while you're up in New Jersey? Do you, will you get into the city, or do, would you take advantage of seeing family while you're here? Yes, I would, I would love to go see my family. And, again, all of that, those plans are just put on hold until the 16th where, uh, when I see where I land and, um, if you know if I'm st- going to stay in the states a little bit longer or not, and um, one of the plans that I have is to go to the Met. i in New York City. Oh. I've never visited the Met, and um, being a big fan of art, of course, I'm really looking forward to doing that. Uh, but that's again all dependent on whether I stay here or whether I hop on a plane and fly back to Europe and, and keep training there. Okay. Well, remind us all now um, what the schedule is for this weekend as this show goes out on. Friday, of course, um, around the world, and you will be well underway with competition. Tell us what the schedule is, Catherine. 
Well, Friday is the Grand Prix, uh, which is 30% of the final score for qualifying for the team. We've already done, we did this last weekend, we did the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix Special, and they counted for 30% Grand Prix, 25% Grand Prix Special. And the next 30% will be earned in the Grand Prix coming up on Friday. Then we have a rest day, which is, of course, a training day with our horses. And on Saturday is the freestyle, which determines the final 15% um, of the score. So, like I said, anything can happen. There are a lot of horses that are very, very close to each other in the point standings. Um, we have, you know, we have, this is another really interesting year for the United States because a lot of the old standbys are not there with their old standby horses. So we have a lot of new horses coming up um, that the, the world is not very familiar with, and uh, we're going to see some new faces on the team this year, and it's, it's an exciting moment for U.S. dressage. Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And you know, it's so inspiring, Catherine. I've been talking to a lot of uh, young riders, uh, of course, at the Young Rider Championships here last week in the Kentucky Horse Park. And, and over the series that we've done this summer with the young riders, with juniors and young riders, there's, there's an awful lot of enthusiasm uh, w- amongst young people now towards the sport, isn't there? Yes, there is. And I think that's fantastic because without a lot of younger people getting involved, it's hard for the sport to go forward and have a future here. It's very, very encouraging, absolutely. And I know you're an inspiration to many of those young riders, uh, Catherine, and we want to thank you for spending time w- with us this week. I know it's right in the middle of two uh, really critical weeks in your life, I would say, wouldn't, wouldn't you? You know, I'm trying not to look at it like that. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I'll take the pressure <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I'm just, I just keep telling myself, you're here to ride the test. You're just here to ride the test. And that's what I'm doing. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, one day at a time, huh? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, one ice cream sandwich at a time, perhaps. <laughs> that, I'm having a harder time with that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Catherine. I want to remind everybody uh, that you can check out our show notes, of course, at dressageradio.com, where we'll put a link to all the stories we talk about on the show. You can visit us at Facebook, as always, and find a fan page. And you can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio, and you can follow me at Chris E. Stafford. And you can follow Catherine. Remind, remind them, Catherine, how they can follow your blog and you, on your Twitter and your Facebook page. Well, I'm, um, if they just go to my name on Twitter, Catherine Haddad on Twitter, Twitter, and Catherine Haddad International Dressage on Facebook. And um, the blogs you can find at the Chronicle of the Horse, which is cronofhorse.com slash blogs. Wonderful. And you've been blogging, and you also have some video updates there, which were pretty neat. Those are the ones you were sending from Germany. Yes, I did a, I've done a lot of video blogs. In fact, I just put up a blog about the... Uh, renovations that they did at Gladstone and how the new arenas look and how it how it looks just to enter the UFDT headquarters there and all, basically the the latest blog that is up at the Chronicle of Horses about how to get to Gladstone, how to get tickets, how to park, and how to come see the horse show, which I hope everyone will do. That, there's, I have to say that this horse show at Gladstone it compares very favorably um, to any show that I've gone to in Europe. The setting is beautiful. Uh, the food is fantastic in the VIP tent. There's really good footing in all of the arenas. The competition is excellent. The judging is very good. Um, the only thing, the only thing that I would change if I could is to have more spectators there. So I would love it if a bunch of people would just show up and cheer us on. Well, we'll do our part here on the Dressage Radio Show. Make sure you tell all your friends about uh, the dressage competition that's taking place there this weekend. and. It would help the atmosphere cheer along all our uh, team uh, prospects 
that are competing in the heat um, there to make uh, catch the selectors eye and make a place on the, get their place on the teams and just generally support them along. You know, it really means a lot, doesn't it, to have a good uh, spectator base? Absolutely, it really does. Terrific. Well, don't forget, uh, you can contact uh, Catherine on uh, all those different ways. She's a, a new media professional, I would have to say. <laughs> really, really, it's a new I'm giving it my best shot, Chris. <laughs> and uh, if you have any messages or questions or comments for Catherine, you can send those along to me as well, chris at horseradionetwork.com, and I'll make sure she gets them. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 270-803-0025. I'd like to thank our sponsors again and our backstage crew that make this show possible every week. And don't forget to check out all the other shows here on the Horse Radio Network. We have eight shows now, so there's something for everyone. Well, that about wraps it up. I'm delighted that you were able to join us, Catherine. So thank you so very much for spending time and the very best of luck this weekend with your little pony up there. I know you're going to love him whatever you do. Oh, absolutely. There's no way I can't love him. He's just—he's got a big heart, and he's stolen mine. Uh, there you go. You heard it here. Well, thank you again, Catherine. And don't forget, I'll be back here, same time, same place, everybody, on the Dressage Radio Show. So until then, and thanks to everyone for listening around the world. We appreciate it. And don't forget to practice safe riding by always wearing your helmet and fastening your chin strap. And I'll be in Gladstone this weekend, so I'm signing off now, but I hope to see everybody there. 